this is Erica. I'm going to run a an older show today um, because it's town meeting day here in Vermont. And uh, looks about right out there. It's uh, It's really gray. I would say there's probably 20 inches of snow on the ground right now here, cumulative, cumulatively. Um, snowing a little bit. It's pretty grim. Perfect, perfect weather for town meeting. So uh, happy town meeting day, everybody, wherever you are, and uh, welcome to the show. This is Rumble Strip, Chapter 1, Vernon, Vermont Town Meeting, What to Do About Trash. Please state your name. Jeff Kosis. Uh, some of us in this town already have a dumpster, so we don't have to walk out with those puny bags. They don't hold anything. They're darn expensive. And I don't feel like having to pay twice because, and frankly, when you go to a Triple T truck and they tell you the recycling, it just needs to go away. We don't need, I don't need to pay twice for my rubbish. So thank you. Chair, we recognize Mr. Gilligan. Uh, Patrick Gilligan. I believe the pay-as-you-throw program is a great benefit to the town of Vernon. Norm Mallory is my grandfather. I work at Triple T. He gave the town of Vernon a very good rate to do this, and uh, I hope we all vote yes on this. Further discussion on the motion? The gentleman walking up to the microphone. Um, Andrew Gant. I've heard a lot of people mention about how cheap pay-as-you-throw is, and I am sure, sure for our older families in town it may be, but as a father of a family of three kids and a wife, once you have a handful of diapers in those bags, they break as you go down the driveway. This is a recording from town meeting in Vernon, Vermont, about trash removal and what the residents want to do about it. And it's not over. It goes on for another 20 minutes or so. Uh, between the diapers for the children and the diapers for the elderly and all the little other pads in between, those things are recyclable and can be put in the cow bin. Town meeting is not glamorous. Sometimes it's boring. We sit on hard chairs. We talk about things like trash removal. But it is also the most civilized and surprising social gathering of the year. Every year. In most of New England, town citizens become legislators for one day a year. They vote on issues that affect them directly. Road conditions and property taxes and zoning laws. And sometimes they talk about more global concerns like immigration and climate change and what they can do about these things on a town level. It's not perfect. A lot of local power has eroded and is in the hands of the state and the federal government now. But every item that is on the agenda is voted on publicly and in person by town residents. It's one of the last examples of direct face-to-face democracy and this centuries-long practice of towns doing the slow and hard work of disagreeing and arguing and compromising on how to govern themselves. This has a profound impact on a place and what it means to be from a place. The problem is we're not selling enough bags. In Vermont, town meeting is the first Tuesday in March. Everyone looks pretty bad after a long winter. Everyone's coat is covered in road salt. A lot of people seem to be sick of their spouses. Some people bring their knitting. They sit on bleachers in the school gym or in the town hall. And the select board, which are elected townspeople, they're sort of like the town's executive branch. They're usually sitting behind a table at the front of the room. And then there's the moderator, who runs the meeting, or runs it as soon as the people of the town vote to select them, sometimes for the 50th year in a row. 
Further discussion on the article? Please state your name. Most of us won't have town meeting this year because of COVID. Most towns will vote by ballot instead, or Australian ballot as we call it here. So I figured this would be the year to make this show, to remember what we're missing. And even though this is a show about where I live, which is maybe not where you live, we are all living through a time of awful division, terrible public discourse. There aren't a lot of opportunities anymore to disagree civilly in public, and maybe there should be. I talked with town meeting moderators from all over Vermont about town meeting culture and what it's like to moderate these meetings. Here is some of what they said. My role is to ensure that the meeting remains the people's meeting. This is Kelly Green, defense attorney and Randolph Town moderator. It's my job to ensure that the townspeople get to transact the business that they want to transact. So this process recognizes that it is the people who run the town. We hold the power to get things done and do things. The people in the government are our servants. We direct the select board and the town to do our bidding. It's it's unbelievable if you think about it. I mean, I don't know that people really understand that they have this authority and power. I'm not sure everybody understands it. You are literally legislating from the floor. It's beautiful. Most Vermonters understand that government is a, is a we, not a they. This is Susan Clark, author and Middlesex town moderator. It's a thing that we do together, or if we don't, it's by choice, because we're definitely invited. And somebody's always going to call you and ask you to be on some darn committee. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, if, if you're not on one, it's because you've avoided them, you know. And, and, and that's, that's what it means. Um, I, I think it's going to make us less likely to want to storm the Capitol if we understand that, you know, we all are part of what makes the democracy tick. Good morning. It being 9 a.m. on the 3rd of March 2020 in the town of Richmond, Vermont, I call this 225th annual town meeting to order. This is Stephen McGill, ski patrol, beer brewer, and Moortown town manager, and we went to high school together. Is there a story related to how you became moderator? Or did you just, it seems like all the people I've talked to, they kind of back into it. Oh, no. No, I, I fronted into it. <laughs> I, I'm probably one of the only people in the state that's ever actually run against an incumbent moderator and won. Um, what was your rationale for running against this incumbent? The people in town were ready for somebody different. It was a challenging decision because the guy who was the incumbent is... Uh, a really good guy, um, and he's still active in town politics. He's an old dairy farmer, and people were just ready for somebody different. And they asked if I would be willing to run, and they asked the right person because I, I think it's fun. But uh, about three years after that, we got it was a particularly challenging meeting. Lots of interesting questions, and that's what makes it fun, you know. Lots of good back and forth and amendments. And um, at the end of the meeting, when we get to other business, the the guy who had formerly been the moderator raised his hand, and I called on him, and and he 
from the back of the room said, I just want to thank the moderator for uh, for doing a really good job today. He goes, I know that this is a really hard thing to do, and he's done a splendid job, and I just really want to thank him. It was a, a blessing from the previous moderator for what I uh, have to do now. So um, it was a great moment. I often actually don't know what anyone's talking about. I really have no idea what the you know, what the capital budget fund is about. I, I, I do not I do not understand any of it. People could be speaking Greek. But what I do know how to do, what I am good at, is empathizing with the person speaking. And because I don't really know all the ins and outs of all the stuff that goes on in town, I have to listen carefully to them and understand what they're saying. And, uh, you know, if, if necessary, help that person get their thought out or use the rules to do, take some action, whatever. Some people are really excellent speakers. Some people are not. Some people are terrified. Some people talk too much. But it seems like, as a body, the people have room for it all. This is Paul Doton, dairy farmer and Barnard Town moderator. In my management, so-called, of, of the town meeting, I, I really don't have total control. I just try to keep it within the, within the railings, I guess, of what, what needs to be. And one of the things I point out is that everybody addresses their comments to the moderator, and then the moderator will ask the question. So there aren't two people that are arguing across the room, which can be and has been sometimes a problem because emotions get, get in the way, and I try to make sure emotions are, are set aside. Usually with success, but, but not always. It frequently will happen that somebody will talk out of turn. Just a gentle reminder, you know, hey, Joe has the floor right now. That works great. Yeah, You're yeah. snickering. No, I'm it was like, it's like so easy. It's so easy, but you just have to be there and be ready and not let it get out of hand. And the minute it starts to happen, you got to say, no, you don't have the floor. I don't care if you're agreeing or disagreeing or what, what you're saying. It doesn't matter what you're saying. You do not have the floor. That's the important thing, okay? <laughs> I've only once had to really use my stern voice. And I'm not really a stern person, so it kind of I have to make it up. But um, th we had somebody that tried. Well, he he somebody who had the floor, uh, and while he had the floor, somebody else raised their hand, and he turned and said, "Put your hand down. I'm talking." And that's the only time I ever used my gavel. And I said, "You are not in charge of the meeting. This is my meeting, and I, anybody who wants to put their hand up is allowed to put their hand up." Is that your stern voice? That no, that is not my stern voice. <laughs> you can't do your stern voice just no. so I can hear it. What are we? I'm gonna wait just a second. What's going on? Snowmobiles. Snowmobiles going by. <laughs> this is what you get when you do an interview in the garage. <laughs> this is Bobby Starr, ex truck driver, Vermont legislator, and Troy Town moderator for 50 years. I think it's the moderator's job to make people feel comfortable enough so they don't give a hoot if they say it, if the words come out wrong. We'll get it figured out. Just say them. And, you know, you have all types of people that show up. You 
go from the poorest person in town or the least educated to professors and doctors. And a lot of times that person with the least amount of education makes more sense than the professor made. So, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. The important thing is is to participate. This is John McClowry, political policy advisor and Kirby Town moderator for 55 years. Everybody's got something to contribute that they know that most people don't. And it, it may not be something that comes up, in which case they take it with them and leave the room at the end of the meeting. But sometimes people got something to say that says, well, so I happen to work in uh, uh, home care for 27 years, and I can tell you what really happens with the state agencies and uh, the hospital and so on. And uh, that's one of the great things about town meeting is that it reassures the people who come here that where they have something to say and they're not just blowing hot air, people are grateful to have that input. When you stand up and make your speech here, you're not petitioning a higher power to do your work. You're not going to a hearing. Many of the hearings the legislature has are, I hate to say shams, but they're pro forma exercises which have very little impact on the actual legislators. But here, you have a right to be here. You have a right to be heard. Your voice is as good as anybody's voice. And uh, although you may not be on the winning side every time, you know that you're uh, exercising your right to democratic self-government and have a, and can make a difference. How did uh, Bolton respond last night? My understanding is they offered $275. Uh, the report that we got from the Bolton town clerk, you are correct. So I think it's a little disproportionate here. This number is just, I, I don't understand how it can be justified. Uh, volunteerism, I've done my share. I'm still doing it. I don't see where we need to have it turned over to the taxpayers. I think raise your money, uh, you're getting enough now. That's my opinion. I think that's just too much, too much. Thank you. If you have a real disagreement with somebody, you don't have to be disagreeable. You can agree to disagree and move on. Because in a day or two, you may come upon that person at the store, at the post office, or someplace, and, and you have to come to a time of reckoning that we cannot continue to be as vile to one another as the internet and that whatever the other media is that, that people can just spout off and not have to worry about the repercussions. This is Gus Selig, executive director of Vermont Housing and Callis Town Moderator. The other thing that is special about it is it is a way to get to know people that are outside of your normal social circle. See people and learn from people and hear people that may not be part of the group that they would usually hang around with. And in an age where you know, everybody's going to their own television station that just reinforces what you already think. The opportunity to go someplace and have people with whom you disagree speak to you is, is I think, something that's still worth investing in. I think there was a, an article warned on whether Vermont should pay livable wages. And one person got up and said, if I have to pay people... I can't remember what the number was this much an hour. Then I'm going to have to raise my prices and you folks won't be able to afford my services. 
And the next person got up and said, and if the people you pay don't make enough and they're on food stamps and they need heating assistance, I've got to pay for that. So within three minutes, we had the whole debate about livable wages. And we didn't resolve that that day. But I, th I th again, it was a great opportunity for people to have to listen to each other and hear from each other about what was important to them. There is a civilizing aspect of town meeting. You're, you're both comfortable, largely comfortable. It's the same people, it's your town, you're largely comfortable, you're knitting, you're, you know, like you've had a donut, you're comfortable, you know these people, you know these people well. So you're comfortable, but it's also public and there is some formality to it. People feel safe to say what's on their mind in their own way of saying things. Sometimes it gets heated. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's funny. There is this beautiful balance, though, that happens, right? It's not sanitary. It's not boring. It's not sanitary. It's not, you know, it's real. It's authentic. But it's always civil. I am never more nervous speaking publicly than I am at town meeting. Why? Why, why, is, why are the stakes so high when I stand up at town meeting to say something? Isn't that so true? You can't go home afterwards. You already are home. And, and so here you are being yourself. It's high, high, high stakes. On the other hand, it should be the lowest of stakes because these are your neighbors who, who, who've got your back. It's not that we necessarily are going to love each other at town meeting, but we, we do want to succeed. The worst thing that can happen at a meeting, and it's very rare, um, is that we come out without an answer. That's a super easy thing to happen with ballot box voting. Let's just vote no. Ugh, you know, we'll tell them. Well, then you don't have a budget. The thing about meetings is that you just have to stay until you find it and until you work to get it. We're never, we're never going to, you know, completely agree with each other, but to be able to understand what are the points that we can move forward together on? What are, what's the, in the Venn diagram of ideas, where's the overlap? If you lose a town meeting, what kind of conversations do not happen? Well, what happens is you don't have any discussion. You do everything by Australian ballot. How do you alter? How do you discuss, like, your budget or the road budget or the fire budget or the school budget? It's all you're going to do is mark an X on a paper uh, at your leisure uh, and, and put it in a little box, but you're never going to be able to discuss the real issue. Well, is it too much? Is it too little? You miss that, that whole debate. It, it serves no purpose. Australian balloting ought to be outlawed, as far as I'm concerned. People will say sometimes that it's inefficient. <laughs> it takes long sometimes to talk through the answers. They'll say, wouldn't it just be so much more efficient to just have a ballot and vote yes or no? And not only efficient, by the way, but more people will vote if you ask them to vote than if you ask them to come to a meeting. So isn't that better? That's more democracy. But every year it happens that people rely on the meeting to inform their vote. I, you know, I remember the year when we talked about whether we were going to switch to Australian ballot or not. And I w went into that meeting 
um, and asked one of my neighbors, you know, how are you going to vote? And he said, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm going to listen to the to the debate and decide. <laughs> I just laughed and I said, I think there's your answer, my friend. <laughs> you know, right now, the house, the the old Meg's house right there in by Tobin's old garage there. Okay, every time it floods, that fills the basement with water now. I talked to Pat Mail, where Pat Mail grew up. He said, that was nothing. He said, our house was always full of water. And I said, Jesus, you know, we turn around to build that road up now. You think about it. Somebody else is going to pay for it. I remember a town meeting where um, our town, a, ch a child had gone missing in our town. And the FBI came to town to investigate immediately and had gone to the library. They had a tip and wanted to seize and search the library's public computers. And the librarians told the FBI that they needed to get a warrant the town was grief-stricken and was enraged that the library would, at a time like that, demand that the FBI get a warrant. Like, everyone in town was like, are you kidding me? A child is missing and you're, and what? This town meeting afterwards the library budget, of course, is on, is up for discussion, as it is every year. And the people were still really angry with the library. But a patron and I think trustee of the library, again, a volunteer, someone living in town, an elderly woman stood up and gave the most passionate defense of the Fourth Amendment and civil liberties to the people on the floor that I have ever witnessed. And, you know, I'm a criminal defense attorney. I spend all day trying to make speeches about the Fourth Amendment. And this woman, who also had been, you know, moved with grief about this crime, could also give this smart, compassionate speech where people applauded afterwards. She really persuaded people to understand why at that moment was when our civil liberties did matter. Everyone was sad, but was moved by her speech. And did the library budget pass? The library budget passed. I'm always surprised and in awe and bowled over by a neighbor who shines. The second announcement is I'm on a committee of people called Hope in Action that has been putting on dinners and entertainment here at the town hall. If you missed karaoke this past year, you missed a great performance. I don't think uh, people understand how much then, local uh, volunteerism is involved in, in town meeting and the whole governmental process of towns. I mean, take, for instance, the, the auditors. Townspeople are auditors, not the official audit firm that does the books. The auditors are the ones that put together the town report, and that takes a lot of effort. They aren't qualified as auditors. Their, their profession might be 
I'm not sure what it is, but two of them I know are retired right now that are on there because I had an email from one of them the other night asking if he could leave town reports here in our summer shed where we sell corn. But people just surface and and uh, do whatever they need to do. Some of these committees that don't seem, you don't think are real important or, or high level, sometimes turn out to be much more than that. I mean, the seminary commissioners, two of them have been working on this cemetery where my maternal grandfather is buried just behind the farm here, straightening up stones and, and uh, bringing all that type stuff. I mean, those that's one example of how local people get involved. Again and again, we're asked to be involved in, in small decisions over years, over decades, over literally centuries. What What changes is the culture. We actually have a town meeting culture. And even if you have never attended a town meeting, maybe you live in a city. We have expectations in Vermont of civility. We have expectations of inclusion. We expect to be asked about things before decisions come down. We have democratic expectations in Vermont that other places might not have. Uh, that I think many other places do not have because of a town meeting culture that we have um, created over centuries. When we talk about town meeting day, we're not just talking about one day. Town meeting day is a culture. So in every town in Vermont, the people have to be involved in town affairs. Literally, the people run the town in every town, almost every town. To get the work of town done, whether it's managing the lawn mowing at the, at the town cemetery or running recreational programs or figuring out the, the budget, it takes hundreds, thousands of volunteer hours. So everybody has to pitch in. And, and <laughs> we don't all agree at all on everything or even anything, but... As a result of having a town where everyone has to participate or nothing gets done, we're very interdependent. So it's a chicken and egg question. Like, I don't know if like Vermonters were like this and then we invented town meeting or if town meeting made us like this. But we live in our community. We are very interdependent. If there's a problem, if there's a crisis, people have each other's phone numbers already. People have each other's email addresses for those of us with email <laughs> to, but um, you know who to call with your problem or your offer of assistance. Sometimes when people hear the term social capital, they think it means social like, oh, we have lots of potlucks, you know, and we think that if we just socialize together, then we'll have rich social capital. But a big part of building that um, I mean, it's earned. It's earned. It's something that we put into our social capital bank account. And you don't just do it through picnics. You do it through the hard work of disagreeing with each other and then working to find the way to move forward together anyway. It's what makes us a society. It's what makes us a community is investing in the hard work of self-governance so that when the hard times come, you know, something really difficult is going on in our town. How are we going to pay for flood damage? Um, we have invested over the years in, in that social capital so that we are ready when the hard times come for the, the hard work of self-governance, where we have to sit through 
a long meeting and hear different points of view and then find the way forward together. So much of what goes on in the nation's capital feels like it has nothing to do with me whatsoever. I know that's not true. I know that that's not true. I'm a lawyer, so I know <laughs> that what happens in Washington has effects here. But for some reason, I, there is a disconnect between what, ha what happens on those bigger stages in, in my life. My town is really my reality, day in and day out. Um, I guess I'm kind of a unique individual because my wife and I, we use one green bag every three months. And a big part of that is we don't throw garbage in our trash can. We put that in a bag, we keep it in the freezer, and then once a week I take it down to the cow. I can put three 13-gallon um, trash bags in one That was town meeting. If you want to see some pictures of town meeting, you can visit my website, rumblestripvermont.com. Also, Middlesex town moderator Susan Clark co-authored a book called Slow Democracy, Rediscovering Community and Bringing Decision-Making Back Home. It's about all of the things that they talked about here and a lot more, and it's really good. I'll put a, a link to it on the website also. If you want to make a comment on the show, I would love to hear it. Just go to the show page, and at the bottom of the show page, you'll see a comment box. Uh, if you want to make a donation to the show, uh, that would also be great. It puts gas in my car. And thank you also to all of the people who already make and have made donations. I want to thank Tobin, Kelly, and Amelia for their help on this show. And thanks to callous musician and also furniture maker Brian Clark for his music. I have links to his music and his furniture on my website. Thank you to Angela for digging into her tape bin. And thanks to Brattleboro Community Television and Mount Mansfield Community Television for their recordings of Town Meeting. And also all the brave people who get up and talk in those meetings. It's weirdly intimidating. Rumble Strip is a proud member of Hub and Spoke, a collective of excellent and independent and wicked smart podcasters from all over the country. You can find them at hubspokeaudio.org. This is Rumble Strip. I'm Erica Heilman. Thanks a lot for listening. <laughs>